0: The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.
1: Some big words to consider today, propitiation and proto-evangelium. How would you define these words, and what do they mean to the doctrine of soteriology, eternal salvation? Welcome, friends. You've tuned in to the Grace Evangelical Society's Grace in Focus podcast broadcast ministry, and we're delighted that you're with us today. Bob Wilkin and Steve Elkins will be along with a discussion about these words right after I tell you about our website, which is faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. There are a lot of resources, especially articles there for you. And you can find out about our bi-monthly magazine, Grace in Focus. Full color, 48 pages, free subscription. That's our website, faithalone.org. Also, quickly, let me tell you about our videos, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find them on the Grace Evangelical Society's YouTube channel. Now, here are Bob and Steve with today's discussion.
2: Steve, uh, we're talking about different words on the doctrine of salvation or soteriology, and we come to an interesting word that's a difficult word, propitiation. Mm. It's even hard to say. Mm. What is propitiation? Well, interestingly,
0: it's consistently one Greek word family from halosmos, that refers to the hilasterion, the, what was that? The The mercy mercy seat, seat. right. And it's referring to the propitious sacrifice that was put on the mercy seat. So like in the story of the publican and the Pharisee, the publican says, doesn't literally say be merciful to me from the word eleao, but be hilaskamai, be mercy seated to me. Ah. He had evidently some knowledge of the Old Testament system and that God would be because of that merciful to him. In Ryrie's soteriology class, we had to memorize a key verse for every soteriological doctrine. For propitiation, one of the main verses, for me anyway, the one I chose was 1 John 2. Is it 2 or 1? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's says, the
2: one I was thinking. He is a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the whole world. Exactly.
0: One of the things that Ryrie and Dr. Chafer before him waxed eloquent on was that this referred to... Christ's sacrifice being the full payment for our sins, fully satisfying. Behind the word has the idea of satisfaction.
2: That's... What I prefer, now, some people call it expiation. Mm-hmm. They would use that word, but I like satisfaction better. It satisfies God's justice. Mm-hmm. In fact, John one twenty nine. behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think that taking away is what propitiation does.
0: Yeah, I agree. Ryrie appealed to us when you're sharing the gospel, man, because it was all men in that class. Right. He said, never give anyone a chance to get in on propitiating God. Don't communicate that raising a hand, saying a prayer, walking an aisle or anything like that has anything to do with the reception of the free gift of eternal life. Of course, you get it just by believing. And then he broke into song, only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. It was really beautiful. So years later when I'm training young life leaders on the gospel and we would go through all these soteriological doctrines, justification, redemption, et cetera. I would wax eloquent on propitiation because it meant so much to me, and I would tell them the same thing. Let's don't give any kid a chance to get in on propitiating God. Well, I had a leader named Tommy Welch, and this meant so much to him. And one summer, we were having summer Young Life clubs, and he gave the talk. We never use big theological words in Young Life because we're dealing with kids who, by and large, don't go to church, don't know any Bible, etc. But in this case, it was a great exception. And so he talked to us about propitiation, but he explained it backwards and forwards. And then he gave this great illustration. Tommy had dated this girl in high school named Edie Guevara. Edie, by the way, went on to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. Wow! And he, he was going to take her to the prom. He didn't go to her high school. So that morning he drove over with the mom and that, or corsage, whatever you call it. Right. I don't even know. And he was so proud of it because he had designed it himself. He worked with the florist to make it just like he wanted. So happy about it. When he went to pick her up that night, the mom had grown like, you know, 10 times bigger, a bunch of streamers and things added to it. (laughs) She had gone to Flowers by Cheryl at the corner of Town East and Motley and Mm -hmm. had a bunch of stuff added. And he said, I can't tell you the emotions I felt. I didn't know whether to spit or to cry. (laughs) He said, because it, you know, it really hurt my feelings. And then he turned it to the crowd and he said, but that's what each one of us do to God. When we think there's anything we need to do to add to Christ's finished work on the cross for us, it's like a slap in his face. And he said, that's what I felt like I'd gotten from Edie. I still get, you know, goosebumps thinking about to this day what a great talk that was. And he really drove it home.
2: You know, that's great. And I think I should mention that in John 129, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that means... Our sins are no longer a barrier between us and God. That's why in lots of gospel tracts you'll see the cross bridges the gap between God and man, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we're born again. What it means is now we can be born again simply by faith because the sin barrier has been dealt with. But it also doesn't mean that our sins are taken away in the sense there are no consequences. Mm-hmm. We still have consequences for our sins in this life. Yeah, yeah. If we walk in rebellion against the Lord, well, we're going to be like the prodigal son that experiences famine and want and loss in the far country. And the unbeliever who's rebelling against God reaps consequences for his sins, but he's not separated from God because of his sins. He's separated from God because of his unbelief. Bob, I think that's a great point. If we let
0: people know, of course, there's serious and sometimes dire consequences for our sin here and now. I think that helps make it a little bit more understandable that Christ has taken the sin barrier away in regard to our eternal salvation.
2: Absolutely. Eternal security is true, but it's not a license to sin. If we sin, we're going to reap the consequence. Absolutely.
1: The Grace Evangelical Society has recently started an online seminary, and we're preparing to start our second semester in February. You can study with some of the finest free grace professors and earn an MDiv degree in three years. There is no tuition if you maintain a 3.0 grade point average. It's time now for application and registration. Study the Bible, the biblical languages, and free grace theology with us. Find out more at faithalone.org seminary or gesseminary.org.
2: Okay, let's talk about, uh, it's a Latin expression, it's kind of tough here, but what is Proto-Evangelium? I think that refers to Genesis 3.15. And what is Genesis 3.15? Uh,
0: Well, it's the promise to the woman after giving the curses and so forth for their sins that she'll bear children and the serpent will bruise his heel, but he shall bruise his head. What's that mean, Bob?
2: It's specifically talking about one specific child called the seed. Right. The seed of the woman will be attacked by the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent is going to strike him on the heel, but the seed of the woman is going to stomp the serpent on the head. And the idea is Jesus was going to experience a wound. He is the seed of the woman. By the way, that's a reference to the virgin birth, ultimately, because women don't normally, we wouldn't think of a woman as having seed. We would think of the man having seed and the woman having the egg, Mm. and we would speak of the seed of the man. But there's the seed of the woman, and on the cross, in a sense, Jesus was struck on the heel. Now, of Mm. course, Jesus died on the cross, but that didn't last. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Wow. And so it was his victory. Mm-hmm. And actually, the cross is when Jesus stomped Satan on the head.
0: Yeah. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Yeah. It's talked about in poetry, the sting of the serpent's bite.
2: Right. So the point here would be that this first gospel, that's what Proto-Evangelium means, the first gospel, is basically God telling Adam and Eve that by the death of of her seed, there was going to be victory and ultimately everlasting life. Now, they may not have understood at that point, but I think they did. In fact, I would suggest, and a lot of people do, that they were born again at that point. Now, probably the Lord said more than just Genesis 3.15 or what we see in that context. He probably talked about everlasting life and, you know, a secure relationship with him. But in any case, we have the core of the saving message
0: right there. You know, when the Lord made coverings for them because of their nakedness and their right. shame, it's hard to imagine that He wouldn't have shared the gospel with them at that point.
2: Right. Okay, we've got another word, or actually an expression. In Calvinism, uh, what are the five points of Calvinism?
0: Well, they usually go by TULIP, and this comes from the Senate of Dort.
2: The Senate of Dort was responding to Arminius, and so they came up with the response to Arminius.
0: And it's possible on some points they might have taken Calvin a little further than Calvin sometimes takes himself, though Calvin gave them all the ammunition they needed to go where they went.
2: I heard a paper by a Calvin scholar who said, if you look at the Institute's You can find statements of unlimited atonement and limited atonement. But he said on balance, there's far more statements of unlimited atonement. And he said Calvin himself held the unlimited atonement. The five points are... TULIP, total depravity,
0: unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints.
2: Okay, so let's talk about point one, total depravity. What is that, according to the Calvinist, and then what would we say it means?
0: The Calvinist generally will appeal to several verses, but one like Ephesians, where it says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Two,
2: one, and falling And yeah. so
0: a dead person can't respond and, of course, that leads to another spurious doctrine they have of regeneration preceding faith. He right. Has, he has to make us alive in order for us to believe.
2: Which but, is the other way around it, in John 3.16. Of course.
0: Yeah. All through the gospel, always faith is the condition for life and regeneration, not vice versa. He He right. says, be saved and you shall believe.
2: But that is the Calvinist position. That's right. And, by the way, the Calvinists sometimes illustrate this dead and trespasses and sins A cadaver at the bottom of a well. Exactly. The idea that we're so dead, we can't even respond. So in that view, the unbeliever cannot seek God. Exactly.
0: And sometimes off of the salvation topic, they might say we're so totally depraved that anything we do in our sinful state is sin. Like I remember one of them saying, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Wow! And Dr. Ryrie would say to that, Jesus' statement, how do you, being evil, give good gifts to your children? We can do good things. Right. We just can't do anything good enough to save ourselves. But there's more to it, Bob, especially if we look at the teaching in Ephesians 2. It begins by saying in 2.1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he explains how the being made alive happened, and he also calls it being saved. Right. When we believed. And so what needs to be understood here is that dead, or death in this case, doesn't mean we can't do anything like a corpse. It means dead like Paul is using it in Ephesians 4, that we are alienated from the life of God. We're alienated from God.
2: Yeah, you lack eternal life. Exactly. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is basically saying when we believe in Christ, we are regenerated, we're made alive. And this is apart
0: from works. And there's no way to understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9 in context, but that, yes, dead men can believe.
2: Right. And if they and- <laughs> couldn't, they could never be live men. Exactly. It's the belief that gives them life. So our view of total depravity is, yes, people are sinners, and yes, they can't save themselves. But that doesn't mean they can't respond to God, because God is seeking us, therefore we can respond to his drawing. Yeah. And Cornelius in Acts 10 is a prime example.
0: Sure. And, of course, we believe God's drawing everyone, even now. He's he's drawing us to Himself.
2: Yeah, John 16, 7 through 11. All right, well, thanks, Steve, and thank you all. And remember, keep grace. And focus. Amen.
1: Be sure to check out our daily blogs at faithalone.org. They are short and full of great teaching, just like what you've heard today. Find them at faithalone.org slash resources slash blog. We would like to thank all of our financial partners who help us keep this show going. All gifts are tax-deductible and very much appreciated. If you'd like to find out how you can be a financial partner, visit us at faithalone.org. On the next episode, Can a Christian be carnal? And is faith a decision? Join us, and until then, let's keep grace in focus. Proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.